paper cups inside the plastic cups. And welcome to Plastic Cups Inside Paper Cups Inside Plastic Cups. I'm Dennis Wilson, and this is Omar Rabadi. Hey, Omar, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, for the first time in a while, the trash was actually picked up on the day it's supposed to be picked up, so that was pretty exciting. Oh, really? Has it been bad down? In, like, yeah, has it been bad down in South Philly? Yeah, it's been pretty bad. I feel like the trash has been for usually a week off at sometimes, sometimes a little bit less. Recycling, there was probably like three or four weeks where the recycling wasn't taken away. So mm -hmm. it's nice to see things back on track a little bit. I assumed it was as bad where you live. Has it been better? Uh, yeah, because on Second Street, there's a lot of commercial units and like we live in a condo building, so we don't have... The condo buildings can't put out, um, if you have more than a certain amount of units in a building, you can't put ah. out up. So we have um, trash pickup and we have like dumpsters in the courtyard. And same thing for like the commercial units, you know, that they can't just leave out their like their restaurant scraps. So yeah, um, they have, they have like a pick, paid pickup. Um, so, but I, I noticed at some places it was definitely piling up a bit, but not, not bad at like where I walk most of the time, I suppose, but. Um, yeah, it's getting, uh, I, th I think people like our friends in Baltimore had heard about it. So apparently it was, you know, overall it's pretty bad here in Philly. Yeah. I almost didn't put it out this morning because it's been so long since the trash was actually picked up on a Thursday, but, uh, glad, glad I did put it out this morning on the off chance they were actually coming on time. Yeah. Although they have been, they have been commingling the trash and recycling like the last two or three times. So there hasn't been any recycling. Yeah, for that, but, just kind of mixing it in. Yeah, I guess it's understandable considering staff shortages due to COVID. And I mean, obviously it'd be good to recycle, but you know, I guess sometimes you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of weeks isn't gonna make a huge difference in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, one, th one thing I wanted to ask you, so while we're on topic of Philly, indoor dining is going to return, I believe, September 8th. Restaurants will be able to be at 25% capacity. Uh, is that something you foresee yourself partaking in? Uh, not in the near term because so many restaurants have done a good job at um, – creating outdoor dining that, um, A, we're not, we're still not eating out a lot or much at all. And B, if I was going to go out, I would I'd still feel most comfortable, uh, eating outside for now, but you know, and it gets cold. Um, you know, it's still nice to get a good, uh, meal from a restaurant and eat there. I mean, we've only done it a handful of times in the past six months, but, yeah, I would, I would entertain it, you know, depending also on how Philadelphia is trending in terms of cases, but things are pretty good here is last time I checked. Are you going to, have you eaten inside at all? Or, I mean, what, no, have you eaten outside at all? Uh, I've done, no, the most I've done is takeout. 
uh, just going into a place. You know, I do appreciate the places that don't let you inside to pick up your takeout. It's just you knock and then they hand it to you outside. But you yeah. know, I've done takeout where you go inside. So I ha I haven't done that outdoor. I not that I I have anything against outdoor dining. It's just I I just haven't really done it. Uh, it's just easier for me to grab takeout and eat it at my place. And yeah, so I don't really foresee myself partaking in it either. You know, I guess there are there are benefits to eating in at the establishment as opposed to takeout. It's a little bit harder to get out of the house a little. But to me, those benefits don't outweigh the the potential risk. Even though the risk is small, it's still I'd say you get ninety percent of what you want with takeout as a you know, it doesn't add that much to it to eat it in the restaurant from my point of view. So. Well, I mean, I, I think that you're just, I mean, for you, I think, but you, I think you don't value, um, perhaps you don't value the dining experience as much. Is that potentially true? Uh, what do you mean by the dining experience? You mean like the ambiance? Well, yeah, you're saying like 90% of the, um, the benefits of like getting food from a restaurant you can get taking it home. And I would say I'd be more like only maybe like 60% of the benefits because I think there's ambiance. Um, there's the, the food is warmer and in the, in the, the form it was intended by the chef and uh, you might have a, you know, a, uh, a server that can help you, you know, that gives you color commentary to the, the, the food that you're going to choose. So, there's quite a bit, I, you know, I think that it goes beyond just the food. And that. Yeah, I mean, I did mention the food being hotter. I, you know, I do think, especially like, I guess it also varies depending how much you're paying for the meal. Like if you're at a high-end restaurant, you know, you don't really, it's, you know, it, it's kind of annoying if you get home and it's cold. So, right. yeah. you know... I, I see some of that. Uh, and, you know, it is nice nice to get out of the house and stuff. But I, for me, I'd still say uh, probably not going to do indoor dining too soon. Yeah. Not, you know. uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't see a need for it too. Like, out, I, outdoor, we went to a pretty nice um, meal on Monday. And we, uh, Kalaya, and they have really good, uh, they're on a corner property. And so they had good seating all the way on both sides and, we were probably like 15 feet from the nearest table um, and we ordered on, online and then they just brought us our food and that was pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Should we uh, get to some mailbag questions? Yeah, let's open up the mailbag. Should we have a mailbag theme song? Maybe I'll work on that for this episode. Yeah, yeah. Are there, are there any songs you like about that mentioned mail? Um, I'm sure there are. I mean... <laughs> uh, usually, uh, what I do is I because I, I I do the editing on um, a well the easiest way is like you need the MP3 file so I I hook up my external hard drive but I haven't updated that and like I mean I, I haven't you know I don't like download MP3 files anymore so it's like everything from like 2010 and prior um, and it, it just depends on what's on that external which has got lots of songs so. You know, maybe if I've got like, what is it like, seal, signed, sealed, Deli delivered by Stevie Wonder or Mr. Postman or something like that. I feel like there is also like an Elvis Presley song. 
Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, if you have any good ideas, but um, no, I'm trying to think. I can't think of anything, any songs I know that have the word male. One Commercial Avenue, Apartment K, Richmond, California, September 9, 1951. Dear Lester, I'm sorry I didn't write before, and because this record wasn't. All right, first mailbag question. This is from Jack the Sleeper. What was the first podcast you both listened to? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I have to think about it. I've um, been listening to podcasts since, ooh, I don't know even, like maybe 2012, 13. Do you know what yours was? So I do know, I do remember that one of the first, I don't know if this is the first one I ever listened to, but when I first started listening to podcasts, uh, Bill Simmons, podcast from the Grantland Network was one of the first ones I listened to, which was, he still does a podcast that's now on Spotify uh, with The Ringer, and it was sort of a mix of pop culture and sports, uh, so kind of right up my alley. I've, maybe I've listened to too many episodes of him, but I don't really listen to him anymore just because, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't strike me in the same way as interesting. It just kind of seems like, oh, I've heard this before. Uh, what else was, I'm trying to think what else. I remember listening to Mark Marin's podcast probably seven, eight years ago. Yeah, now that first I think of it, I'm pretty sure my first one was Comedy Bang Bang uh, by Scott Ackerman. Um, I'm thinking it was probably around... Uh, 2013, when I, I was commuting. I feel like, I don't know who told me about that podcast, to be honest, but um, that's the, definitely the first podcast I listened to consistently um, and, and probably the first one that, you know, that I, yeah, that I had any, yeah, any kind of re, uh, relationship with. What was Comedy Bang? What is Comedy Bang Bang about? I'm assuming it's still on the air. Yeah, it's still going. Um, it's a comedy podcast. Um, where he has guests on, um, and some of the usually the first guest is real, like a comedian, you know, like, uh, and you know they're promoting a you know a movie or stand up or whatever, um, and then then the next guests are playing characters, and it's all improv. improv. Um, he's from the um, the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade uh, improv comedy troupe. Um, and so that's where it came. It's, it it uh, grew out of that in the uh, the uh, UCB, uh, Los Angeles UCB uh, comedy, uh, improv community. Uh, they were originally on K-Rock, I want to say, when they were called Comedy Death Ray and then turned it into a podcast. Um, so it's, it's, it's really good. I mean, so it's, it can be hit or miss just like any improv. Um, can be, but I mean, I listened religiously for like several years. It's definitely lost something now that they're doing it in uh, virtually. Usually they'd be in a studio and I think improv is, is tough to do virtually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, although as I was saying, I was saying we always do. This is an improv, but we this is all done virtually. But yeah, there I do think there's something lost to uh you know, something of face-to-face conversations. You can see the person's face. You can know when they're done talking. There's just sort of an energy that's created, and I guess that's a big part of yeah, imagine when improv. we first imagine when we do our first uh, in person. It's just going to be you go from we're already at like a ten. It's going to be like a twelve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it is it a video podcast or exclusively audio? Um, it's exclusively audio. Uh, I don't know if they're doing anything with video now. Um, I've seen some podcasts have like kind of added video. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's still just audio. Okay, cool, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out. Although I feel like you probably recommended it to me like seven years ago and I didn't actually listen to it. But this time I'm going to check it out. Sounds interesting. Probably. I'll, maybe I can recommend a couple <laughs> episodes because there's certain uh, characters that are... Um, Certain uh, comedians uh, that do certain characters that are better, far better than others, are really, really good. So maybe I'll, I can recommend a couple. Okay, cool. Do you want to, if you have them on top of your head now, do you want to tell our audience too so they can check those out? Well, anything with Paul F. Tompkins. I don't know if you know Paul F. Tompkins, but he's no. um, he's actually from Philadelphia. Uh, hasn't lived here in ages, but um, he's uh, if you saw him, maybe you'd recognize him. He's uh, he he. Uh, 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 he does the voice of what peanut butter something the dog on uh, BoJack Horseman the animated series on Netflix. Um, he's a sporting fellow. He dresses very well with like vests and bow ties and well groomed. Um, so anything with him, he does a variety of characters. He's he's just amazing. He's like he's a genius. Like he's he's literally more people should they they need to know Paul F. Tompkins because he's he's really good. Um, I also like this guy, uh, John Gabris, who plays uh, a character named Gino the Intern, and he's from Long Island. And the guy is from Long Island, so is the character, so it's like, but it's like hyperbole. Um, he's, um, I, anything with Gino the Intern is, is good in my book. Um, it's, it's a lot of Long Island guy, like, like bro humor, like, but humor, in a humorous way, uh, like ironically, or uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, like a parody. Speaking of bros, that actually leads us to our next mailbag question. Nice. This is from Amir Tojihi. If you had to choose between being a hipster and being a bro, which would you choose? Being a hipster or being a bro? Yes. You're a little, I get. I guess you're a little bit self-aware that you realize you've become this thing, but you can't really change it. It's just who you are. Uh, hipster. <laughs> At least hipsters have good taste. Um, they like both. If you're tr- if you're talking about the true definition of a hip, like the 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 negative connotation of both of those things, they're both can be annoying. But at least um, a hipster um, is typically has good taste. Um, so they're going to play some good records and serve you some good craft beer and bourbon. And um, I don't know exactly what the redeeming qualities of bro are. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm torn. If I were to choose bro, I'd say it's just because, like, the constant, so, like, the sarcasm and the, uh, 
just lack of sincerity of, you know, the stereotype of hipsters. I'm not saying everyone who people call hipsters are like this, but, you know, just that constant, like, tripping with sarcasm attitude. I don't think I could deal with that. I feel like with being a bro, at least I could just, like, I don't know, relax. It'd be easier to relax and just enjoy things as they come. So I'm, I'm going to go with bro if I had to choose. Let's, let's keep in mind, that, let's keep in mind though, you know, bro, um, you politically, you probably align far more with a hipster, even though he's going to annoyingly tell you um, uh, why, you know, like, you know, his beliefs. But, um, you know, I think a, a true bro is, you know, characterized being pretty misogynistic, um, whereas I think a hipster would be more aligned um, uh, with, you know, not being, mis- I don't know how to put it, but like, so I think politically, you're actually more aligned with a hipster. So you're going to have to tolerate a lot of uh, bad behavior on the part of a bro. That's true. That's true. But yeah, although the way this question's worded, it's we're becoming these things. It's not that we're I guess, though, if you're a bro, you're spending more time with bros, probably. And if you're a hipster, you're probably spending more time with hipsters. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, that, I think that hipsters are annoying, but bros can be both annoying and just, like, really bad for the environment. Both literally and figuratively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, next mailbag question. This is from Slip Casey. So Omar doesn't believe in vacation, but believes in UFOs. Would you take a trip to the moon to see aliens? So why don't we both answer this, even though it's kind of addressed to me. Well, you, you take it first, because uh, I feel like they're, they're coming at you. So, yeah. It's a little bit of an oversimplification of what I said, but it's funny, so I'll let that go. Uh, would I take a, take a trip to the moon to see aliens? I guess it depends who's organizing this trip to the moon. Uh, let's, I don't know, let's just say someone who has a really good resume, but he's a little bit of a crank. A little bit of a what? A little, little bit of a crank. Like, you know, he worked at NASA, he, he has a ship, but maybe he's a little bit off. Okay. And I don't know why aliens are at the moon, like, we, we can explore the moon pretty well, but I don't know. For whatever reason, aliens are going to be there. Yep. Uh, what I take? How long does it take to get to the moon? Do you know? Um, I'm going to go with maybe like four to six days. Let's see what Google says quick. That was pretty close. About three days. Okay. Yeah. And you have to... Yeah. Uh, and you get to eat dipping dots the whole time. So that's pretty cool. Well, it's cool. You know, your body wants <laughs> uh, Do I want to go to the moon to see? No, I'll let, I'll let somebody else do it. I mean, I don't know. See, seems risky. Seems like a lot of travel. But then again, when do you ever have the chance to go to the moon again? moon i don't know what i'll I'll mull it over a little bit more what's your answer um i I mean if you could guarantee my safety sure i want to go to the moon but you know you know the what's his name uh ian what's his name ian musk 
What's this? Elon Musk. Yeah. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Um, uh, you know, he's been trying to do the SpaceX thing, and the last one was a, was a disaster, right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, uh, I think it blew up. Um, so if you could, if you could, like, if it was proven, like, oh, this company, like, whoever's doing it has done it, like, you know, civilian trips to the moon, like, they've done it 50 times in a row, and it's been fine, then sure. All right, so, so I'm going to take that as a no, because the way we, I changed this hypothetical for whatever reason. Oh, the way uh, you got it, then th- no, absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to say no to under that case. It'd be one thing if I was like, if I helped get to the moon, like if I was an active participant and I could derive a sense of accomplishment, but just as like a passenger on the aircraft, I don't know. I don't think I'd feel anything about it really. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say no. No. Uh, I mean, it'd be pretty amazing. To see the world from that vantage point, um, it would, you know, it would probably permanently alter your perspective on life. But, you know, just that. It's risky. It's risky. It's risky. Okay. Uh, last, last mailbag question. Another one from Jack the Sleeper. Wow, Jack the Sleeper is an avid emailer. Yeah, yeah, we, we appreciate it. Keep keep them coming, Jack the Sleeper. A little bit of a creepy name, kind of reminds me of Jack the Ripper. But yeah, but he's just sleeping, so I don't right. know. Right, he's just going to make, is he, is he going to make us sleep, though? I don't know, I could use more sleep, so that's, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, if you could only eat one, one fruit for the rest of your life, which fruit would it be? Um, I feel like... Probably wait, but I can eat other things, right? It's not like I yeah, you can you can eat other things, but you can't eat any other fruit. Um, I would go with watermelon. That's my favorite fruit. What's yours? So it's not my favorite fruit, but I'm tempted to go with bananas because I was, yeah, I was thinking that it's a year-round fruit and. Lately, I've been having a bunch of smoothies, and like, they make all smoothies taste better. So, yeah, I think, I'm, and they're so cheap too. They're like twenty cents. A banana costs like twenty cents. Yeah, I was thinking about that, but you know, I ate a lot of bananas for for several years, and and then I just couldn't eat bananas for a while. Just started getting back into them. So, as long as you're not eating them all the time, I guess it's. It's fine, but they can get, you know, wear out in that. I don't know if I could ever wear out watermelon. I love it so much. Yeah, water, watermelon's definitely good. And, and actually pretty, not that the cost matters that much, but also pretty cheap per ounce or pound or however you want to measure it. But bananas are far, bananas are like a superfood kind of, like they're, they're really good for you. Watermelons, I don't know. It's like all water. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're getting a lot of nutrition from watermelons. It seems like it's mostly liquid. I've actually lately been. Have you ever done anything with the peel of a banana? Uh, according to the Anarchist Cookbook, you can uh, dry it up and smoke it and make you hallucinate. But I've never tried that. <laughs> I've actually just been throwing it in the blender with the really? banana. Is yeah. That okay. 
Uh, I did a Google search and it came up as fine. They actually said there's a lot of nutrition in it. So. Isn't, it get, isn't it better? Well, it's hard to say because I'm not eating it by itself. There's at least three or four other ingredients with it. But overall, it tastes pretty good. Like, it gives it a nice oat texture. Huh. So, I don't know. Try it. Try it. I'm sure there's other things. Like, I wouldn't recommend eating the peel raw, but pretty sure, like, maybe baking it could be interesting in some ways. Hmm. That's interesting. I've never considered that. Maybe you can, uh, maybe... We can try that and, and, and tell the listeners about it. Yeah, yeah, man. I'll do, uh, I'll do all the things that I can do with a banana peel. <laughs> all right. Get back, get back to everyone. Any more mailbag? Uh, that's it for the mailbag for today. Our email address is... Sorry, one second. Our email address is... Plastic cups, cups inside, inside paper, paper cups, cups in at gmail.com. No, just plastic cups inside paper cups at gmail.com. Please uh, send us. I, I said it wrong the last time. Oh, well, whoever has that, whoever has plastic <laughs> cups inside paper cups inside plastic cups address, probably getting a bunch of great questions. <laughs> yeah. I hope they're answering them. Well, Hopefully I they have a podcast too. Yeah, probably do. <laughs> All right, so should we move on to our first topic? Sure, sure. Before I forget, today's date is August 27th, 2020. Oh, good call. I don't think yeah. I mentioned that. I don't think no. either of us mentioned that at the beginning. Nope, nope. that's good to know. Uh, what's our first topic? So first topic is war movies. Um, so I was watching, I don't know what I was watching. Some, I was watching TV, I guess. And I saw a preview for um, the latest Tom Hanks-led war movie called Greyhound. Um, it's about something going on in World War II. Um, and it just struck me that, like, do we really need more World War II movies? Haven't we had enough? I'm not saying these, you know, everybody's stories not, you know, deserve to be told, but you know, there's a limited amount of movies that, um, you know, the, the major uh, motion uh, picture production companies can make and distribute, and it's like there's got to be more stories in this world than just war movies about World War II, especially. It seems like we're overly preoccupied with it um and it's just like driven by this sentimentality and this kind of like looking backward um so i don't that was my thought curious what your take is on that agree disagree do you like war movies should we make more so uh, i don't like war movies i've had my fill of them it's just sort of uh yeah, I mean, I've seen so many of them. I remember when Dunkirk came out and it was nominated for Best Picture, which was another World War II movie. I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, not not that I don't like sad movies, but, you know, there's, some, there's something about a war movie that just sort of seems like almost, almost exploitation in a way. Like, we're going to... 
we're we're, we're going to find heroism in what, what was a tragedy for a lot of people. And not that there isn't heroism in war. There's definitely wonderful stories of people taking care of their friends and you know thinking about getting back to their loved ones. But uh, there's there's something about even a movie that tries to that 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 tries to be balanced or tries to be anti-war that just ends up kind of being pro-war in a way just in the sense that it's hard to make a war movie that doesn't where it doesn't come across as glorious if that makes sense if it doesn't right. come back yeah. come off with some romanticism right yeah and there's no question why they make them they make them because they do well at the box office um and because old white guys like them that's what you know they do well they make money so it's it's kind of like a fairly safe bet if you're going to put tom hanks in a war movie that it's gonna it's gonna perform and I, but it does come at the expense of like many other to- stories that are worth exploring or like i get like world war was two is a big deal it, no not undermining that but like why World War II happened. How about making some more movies about that? That would be kind of relevant to today. Um, if we're talking about like, you know, fascism and and hatred and stuff like that. I don't know. I'm just I'm just done. I'm done with I'm done with war movies. You know what? Interesting. If you're gonna make a war movie, how about like the first Barbary War or the War of 1812? I don't think there's any war movies about those wars. Maybe some less explored. Wars might be interesting. Well, this is another reason I think World War II is so popular. Is um, you know, I, I, at first I was like, yeah, I totally agree. I'd like to see the French and Indian War or the Spanish Civil War or something. You know, like, um, but um, it, like musket-driven wars are not as exciting as World War II, where it was just, you know, it's just like a it's a pornography of destruction. Um, and that's why, that's what, you know, ultimately why you know, they, you know, they're war movies, but they're like action films. And so, you know, it's, again, it just goes back to, it's going to, it's going to make money if there's lots of explosions and not a good enough explosions pre, um, you know, uh, 20th century, early 20th century. Yeah. And it's also narratively an easier, I think less, in, maybe in some ways less interesting, but easier story to tell that has more mass appeal where, you know, rightly so, the fascists are vilified in war movies. So it's just an easier, simpler story to tell than, say, uh, Vietnam. I don't know. Yeah, Vietnam or another war that has a lot more nuance. Yeah, if you look at the Vietnam um, war movies, there's there's not many that are like... um, you know, um, there's heroism, like individual heroism, but um, uh, there's not like the rah, rah, rah that you see, Yeah. Um, you know, because it was such a shit show. Yeah. Uh, have, I'm, have you seen Platoon? You know, that's one I, I, I haven't seen entirely. Um, I've seen... I feel, I feel like I've only seen parts of that. Um, that's Oliver Stone, right? I'm yeah. not, not a not an Oliver Stone uh, fan. That's that's a story for another. That's a that's a topic for another day. But 
Um, do you like Platoon? Yeah, I really like Platoon. Uh, he was a Vietnam veteran, and so he had a lot of, you know, firsthand knowledge of what it was like. And, you know, it's a pretty, it's, it's, it's a pretty dark movie. I think as, as much as a movie can, it sort of strips away any sort of romanticism of war. It, you know, it comes, it comes, I think, the closest of any war movie I've seen to truly being an truly being like an anti-war film, you know, really showing, obviously I don't know because I haven't been at war, but it it really paints like a dark picture just well, from I, like the human, from the human psyche perspective of what it's well, like to be in a war. Have you seen Full Metal Jacket? I have I seen, maybe a long, long time ago. No, I'm, I'm just going to say no because I can't yeah, remember. I, I mean, that's, Along what you described, I would say, I mean, it's, it's Kubrick, so it's, it's, there's an absurd level to it, but it's definitely very dark, truly anti-war movie. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Thin Red Line uh, because it is very much sold through the inner monologue of the soldiers. Um, if a war movie could be beautiful, that, that would be one. Um, it's, I mean, it's sad and it's... Um, uh, it's tr- it's a it's a challenging movie, but it's it's also uh, shot in, in a magnificent way. That's uh, crap. Can't remember the director of that one. Um, and Apocalypse Now, and that's a whole that's that gets speaks to like the um, especially the the director's cut, the uh, socio political um, quagmire that led to it. That's really the only movie um, that I can think of that addresses it in that. Uh, layered of a way, um, so those. I mean, I, I mean, I get like why those aren't those aren't going to be blockbusters. They're, you know, they're critical. Uh, they're not. Um, they don't get people hyped up. There's does not offer them an opportunity for jingoism. Um, so, but yeah, yeah. Actually, Platoon, weirdly enough, was somewhat of a blockbuster. I don't. I don't think it was anything like ET, but. It did really, really well at the box office. And I think it came out at a time when I just think there was, you know, tens of thousands of Vietnam veterans who were interested in seeing it, and that probably helped spur it. But uh, when I was thinking of war movies, the more I thought about it, I was like, no, this isn't really a war movie, but if we're going to stretch the definition of war movie, my my favorite war movie is definitely Casablanca. Uh, you know, the war is, World War II is definitely in the background of the movie. The movie doesn't make any sense without World War II, but it's not a movie that takes place. There's no battlefields in the movie. So I, I, I guess maybe I'd like to see more movies like that where there's a lot of, there's a lot of the maneuvering and maneuvering of governments and businesses and individuals trying to, you know, figure out you know, their next move and how to, you know, how, how to make the best of a situation. Yeah, I, I have to watch that again because I, I feel like I watched it when I was so young. I didn't really know probably all the context that was going on around it. Um, my favorite, I would say, and one of my favorite movies of all time is, is Apocalypse Now. Um, but I do strongly, if you ever go back, I don't, I don't know if you've seen that, but if you go, haven't seen it or you're going to go back and see it, 
watch the director's cut, the redo, um, because that has all of the uh, conversation about uh, the French um, uh, colonialists that live there, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, colonized the area uh, when the Americans were, were, were coming in. They were like, why are you guys trying to do this? This is, this is yeah, and another thing about, you know, you mentioned the preview you saw for the new Tom Hanks movie. Like, he already had his World War II movie. Like, I don't know, it seems a little weird that he's going back to that well for another World War II movie. Not that there's any sort of law that says you can only be in one World War II movie, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've got... I like Tom Hanks, but I'd like to see him go back and do... A, do a movie like Big or Turner and Hooch just for old time's sake. Yep, yep. All right, well, you know, send us your mailbag in the mailbag um, what you think, or if you've got, you know, you think a war movie that does a good job. Um, I know there's others out there that I, you know, are, are worthwhile, but uh, what else we got under the, in the topic bin? Uh, last topic of the day, vampire bats. You ready for vampire bats? Yeah. Wait, but not just vampire bats. This is the animal of the week. The animal of the week. Yeah, people told us they missed this segment, although we kind of had other topics that touched on animals, but this is a more standard Animal of the Week segment. All right, so vampire bats. As we know, I'm sure everyone knows, they do live in darkness, often in caves, but also other dark places, hollow trees, old wells, even abandoned buildings, although that's less common. Uh, as the name suggests, they do drink blood for survival, usually from sleeping animals, because that way the animals obviously won't notice. Mm. Uh, they can feed up for, they've been known to feed on animals for up to 30 minutes. And what they do is they use their teeth to separate the skin from the rest of the animal's body, but they actually use their tongue to extract the blood. Uh, they have to drink blood every two days to survive. But the way they get around this is by sharing with each other. Uh, they give blood to other bats. They're very social animals in that way. Uh, some researchers say they give blood in return for being groomed by another bat, but other researchers say they actually have really good memories and they can remember who shared with them, who didn't share with them, so that when one vampire bat has an excess of blood or is just willing to share, they know, you know, the favor is going to be returned. Wait, they share, how do they share blood? Uh, they have it and they have it in their mouth and then oh, they man. give it, yeah. That's hardcore. And, the, the grooming I mentioned, I was having a hard time picturing it. So, like, I looked up a video of, you know, what a vampire bat 
is actually doing when they're grooming. And it is kind of hard to explain, but to explain it is they're straightening out their hair. Mm. And I'm not sure why. I tried to look up why. It kind of seemed like everyone's just sort of guessing as to why. I don't know. Maybe it's just makes them more attractive to the opposite sex, like with humans. I don't know. Uh, it could they it could just be plain. Like it kind of when I saw a video, of it, it kind of looked like the bat could just be plain. So I don't know. A uh, couple other cool things about vampire bats. Unlike other bats, they can run and jump, not just fly. Hmm. Although, like most birds, when you see birds in Philly, like they can they can. I don't know if they're running, but they can move on their feet. So I didn't find it that strange. Yeah, but you realize that bats aren't birds. Right. Right. But. Winged, winged animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found this interesting. Vampire bats were named after vampires, not the other way around. Wait, vampire bats were named after vampires? Yes. Okay, yeah, I, I, I figured that kind of. Yeah, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't that. It, it's not, I guess it's not like a thousand years ago humans knew that much about vampire bats and it's like this with a lot of animals like i'm sure you know they were seen by people but they probably didn't you know witness and record them you know sucking blood off other animals until i think it was until like the late 1800s that that was actually observed and recorded you know for the long for the longest time uh everyone thought that uh, male lions didn't really do anything because when they were observed, it was always like female lions doing most of the work. But what they didn't realize till recently was male lions were fighting off hyenas at night. And that's why they were not really doing much during the day. So too uh, uh, Well, I was, I was curious what you were talking to see if bats are the only flying mammal. And they are. They're the only flying mammal. Um, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, off the top of my head, I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you like what defines a mammal. Really? It just popped in my head. Yeah, how would you define a mammal, or how is it defined? Well, they give live birth. That's one of the big ones. So uh, no egg. Um, no egg, live birth. Um, another big thing is that they uh, they nurse their young, hence like mammals and mammary glands. Um, so, you know, with breast milk, whereas you know snakes don't have breasts. Um, <laughs> uh, you can learn a lot in this show. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's you know also they are all vertebrates. I'm just this is off the top of my head, so. Um, that's no, that sounds that's that's pretty good. Yeah, don't don't parents don't worry about sending your if your school is closed. Just have them listen to this podcast. Right, They'll learn everything they need to know. We cover it all. Uh, uh, how do you feel about bats? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't feel. I mean, I think they're interesting. I think they're cool. You know, uh, they're pretty interesting animals. I don't, I don't have any negative feelings towards them, if that's what you mean. Yeah. How, how just, about you? I know. I mean, um, they're fine. I mean, 
I don't know. I don't really like being up close and personal with a bat. Um, but not that much more than I really want to be up close and personal with like a, a mouse or a rat. Um, you know, I think bats in general have gotten a bad rap. Um, but, you know, they carry diseases and so do mice and rats. So I'm not going to go around handling wild bats, rats, and, mat- and mice. Um, they're cool, though. They do eat lots of insects. Um, you know, so there's lots, you know, like mosquitoes and stuff. I think they eat, they eat. So that's good. And I don't know. I like seeing them fly around in the sky. Our friends, Kim and Mike, have a, a roof deck, and there's they're next to this big old school building and these trees. And there's, man, they really come out, and they they, they really fly really close to you. But, they, you know, they don't ever hit you because they're, you know, they've got the sonar going on. Um, but, yeah, they fly really weird. You know, you can tell they're not a bird because the way that they, they move through the air. Um, but it's, it's pretty cool to see them fly around. I, I like that at, in the summer. Brings me back to childhood. How, how does the way they move through the air differ from a bird? Um, well, they, they tend to make um, very frequent, sharp turns where a bird will fly across the sky and, and, and glide more. Um, the bats make these like really angular turns through the sky. It's just it's totally different pattern than a than a bird. So you can immediately kind of even if you can't see like it's dark. You know it's usually dark enough when they're out that you can't see you know exactly what it is, but you can tell by the movement. That's interesting. It, it sounds closer to like a remote control airplane. Yeah, it looks like a bird would because it's yeah, sort it of, does I'm look, picturing it making these aggressive straight lines and turns. Yeah, it's it's it is almost like me- mechanical because it's it just seems unnatural almost how quickly and rap- and frequently they they sh- they shift and it's like almost like sp- like sporadic and random um but it's definitely different than a than a bird. Um and they just like they circle um where birds might circle, but it's like this long, slow kind of, they'll be circling up the air and looking for their prey below. But like bats are like, they're circling in the air, like catching mosquitoes and bugs and stuff. So they're just like, they, they move in these, you know, you've seen it in like horror movies where they kind of like, they like, you'll see the bats go up and they'll circle in the sky yeah. kind of like, yeah, they do that, which is like, not like, the birds don't move that fast in circular fashion. I feel like, I feel like I'm, talking like I really know bats, but um, yeah, I grew up like we in the country, so there was lots of bats around at, at night. Cool, cool. But one of the things I was curious when uh, you mentioned vampire bats, I wasn't sure where they're from, um, but they're native to the Americas, ranging from Mexico to Brazil, Chile, Uruguay, and Argentina. Um, I wouldn't have, I don't know, I, for some reason I thought maybe they were... Um, like in Southeast Asia, but nope. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of bats in Southeast Asia, just not vampire right, bats. Right, yeah. But uh, yeah, actually, I was reading today, there's a lot of controversy in South America. Specifically, I saw something about in Panama regarding vampire bats. Uh, the population, you know, has grown there since, I guess, since the early 1500s when Westerners first came to the Americas and brought livestock with them. 
And it's just been growing as there's more farm and more and more farm animals. There's more and more vampire bats. And, you know, there are some people in South America who want to eradicate vampire bats just because they do so much damage to farm animals. And, uh, you know, the half measures don't seem to be working. So, But I'm assuming just like any other animal, they play a role in the, um, what do they call that? Ecological e- system. Ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, and I guess a lot of times it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that role is. They don't, you know, they're not like bees or they're not, you know, pollinating anything. But yeah, like it's always, it always seems risky to mess with the balance of the ecological system like that. Uh, You know, vampire bats are prey for eagles and other animals. So, you know, you you don't know what downstream consequences that would have. Oh yeah, or if they're not eating the all these insects, then yeah. Well, are these ones eating insects? I should probably look, look that up. No, so va- vampire bats. The reason they're sucking the blood for food, so they're yeah. and uh, they're not. So that blood sucking isn't really a danger. It's just as far as like the animal's going to die because it loses blood, but it's going to die. It could die just just because of like an infection. Right. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So in that way, too, it can affect the ecosystem. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Bats. But they're not the, like, they're only vampire bats are in South America. Or no, yeah, vampire bats are only in South America, but they're not the only bats that, like, harvest blood, is it? Right? Yeah. As as far as I know, they're the only bats that harvest blood. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Cool. Cool. Should we uh, should we wrap this up? Any final parting thoughts, ideas? Hmm. Well, um, Labor Day is coming up. Um, September's coming up. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have anything to say about that, but. Um, <laughs> Like, I don't know. Uh, what Life's I, coming up. The yeah, future's what, what, coming up. There's things to look forward to. There is. I was wondering what Halloween will be like this year. Um, you know, maybe I'll dress up like a bat. Um, but then I don't would know. It, is it too, would, it, would it be insensitive to dress up as COVID-19? Yes. <laughs> yes, it would be. Okay. I, I, I won't do it then. Um, but maybe we can find something else for you to dress up as. But then we, you know, we can't really go to a party, so we're just going to dress up and stay home. <laughs> do a, yeah, do. could do a Zoom or a, I don't know. I'm thinking with, you know, normally like late October, November, people don't really want to be outside. But, you know, I'm thinking maybe this year people have a little bit more tolerance for being outside when it's cold. Maybe heating lamps could help out with that. I don't know, just thinking out loud. Yeah, no, I think heating lamps are gonna uh, gonna be uh, is gonna be a, a, a run on heating lamps. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, you gotta get your fall gear. You're gonna everybody's. You gotta get your fall. Yeah, thermal gear. socks, thermal underwear. Water get something jackets. to cover your ears. Yeah, my, Omar, you should get a bike so you, we can go for a bike ride. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, I feel like we should we should do a we should contact the government and do like a PSA on. 
staying outside even though it's getting cold in the fall. That's not a bad idea. Maybe we can get some of that um, uh, <laughs> stimulus package money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, technically, it's not a business that pre-existed, but I'm sure there's loopholes. It's like an 8000 Oh, no, I don't mean stimulus money. I, like, you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, like CDC needs to get the word out there on uh, public health information. So what better platform than plastic cups inside of paper cups inside of plastic cups? I can't think of a better one. Okay, neither can I. All right, I'll hit up, uh, I'll hit up the uh, Pennsylvania Health Director. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Peace out. Everything you say with a smile Wave goodbye, hello There's a look in your eye Forwards, backwards, back and down the drive Curtains in the window, wave goodbye There's a look in your eyes And your crazy smile I know you and you know me too I know everything that you're gonna do I know you and you know me too I know everything that you're going through You know it.